good morning. Glad you're all here and uh, healthy. Thank God no one died from our fellowship over this thing so far, so I feel very blessed and uh, again that uh, we're able to come together. We're in a different world now than we were the last time we were together. I don't think you have to be uh, very aware of the times to recognize that. But what do we do with that information? How do we, how do we present Christ to a, to a world ignorant of spiritual things? And you know, one of the things that makes the Bible different than any other religious book in the world is prophecy. Because it doesn't take long if a prophecy is in a religious book and it doesn't come to pass that people can immediately discount that book because it's false. But the Bible is very clear on things to come in the future. And that's why we can trust God today because knowing God knows more about tomorrow than I remember about yesterday. We can rest in him. That's one of the great things that we can offer people in a lost world about who God and who Jesus Christ is. Now again, to trust an unknown being with my future, your future, seems to be a little casting your fate to the wind kind of thing. But when you know who God is and you see what God's word has said about the things, the days to come, how exact it is. If God knows these things that are in the future to the exact moment, then all I can say is I can trust him with today. But see, if you don't know God knows the future, you're kind of just basing your faith on, well, I hope it happens. And you have a more sure word of prophecy from God than just, I hope it happens, but that you can say, I know it's going to happen. We're going to look at a lot of things today. I feel like a cat that's been caged up. And so um, I just want to invite you to um, do your best to follow along with my complete scatterbrainedness this morning. But we will have a good time. Yes, we will. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Genesis 21. If you've been following along on Sunday morning uh, on the uh, internet... While we were uh, closed down, Uh, this is where we've been going. We're going through the book of Genesis. And we're looking at this individual named Abraham. Now, how is it that what we're studying about Abraham almost 4,000 years ago would be in any way relevant to today? I mean, isn't this religious thing kind of goofy? Where you read the Bible and, and I don't know, somehow you try to make it make sense of some things and everything like that. And here we all are, a generation lost in space. No, actually, what we're reading about today has everything to do with the news tomorrow. And this weird. In fact, insomuch that what we're reading about today, we're going to hop up to Ezekiel chapter 38 in a few minutes. Because of its relevancy, God keeps his promises. Now, I like that about God. And God keeps his promises, and oh, saints, get this. This will lift a ton of weight off your shoulders. God keeps his promises regardless of our performance. Always know that. 
Faith is not a performance-based relationship with God. Faith in God is God calling you and me his, bo- his child. I like that. You call daddy. It ain't religion, friends. That's what all the churches, all the organizations are offering people is religion. Get out there, do a bunch of good things, a bunch of religious stuff. You just might make it. That's not our God. That's not our Bible. The Bible says God, when we will allow him to do this, will supernaturally adopt us as his children. I like that. That implies I'm a child and daddy's daddy and he knows what you and me need. I like that. I don't know what I need. You don't know what you need. I've shared this a lot of times. I've been to some of your yard sales. You don't know what you need. We have stuff for sale at yard sales, brand new, in the package. Why? I thought I needed that. But God actually has what we need. God has what you need, has what I need. And the thing is, oftentimes what we think we need is not what we need. And what oftentimes we don't think we need is exactly what we do need. What do we need? Well, we need him. Friends, I don't need religion. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Religion, the way I'm defining it, is our attempt to reach God, to appease God. Jesus Christ was the Father's reaching out to all of us. Big difference. If you'll believe in him, that means put all your faith, hope, and trust in him. The Bible says not only are you born again, you get everlasting life, and he becomes your father. You need a father. Now, his promises, David said, are new every morning. Let's look at this in uh, Genesis 21. Let's pray. Father, as we read your word today, that this wouldn't be ink on paper, but this would be inspired word from your word, from your heart, that would go into ours to remind us that you're good to your word. And so as we look at this today, may you encourage us, open our eyes, and give us a message for a big lost world in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 21 of Genesis. We remember Abraham, Sarah, God had made a promise that to Sarah she would bear a son. When she heard about it, Abraham heard, they laughed. It was a laugh of mockery. It was not a laugh of, oh, that sounds like great news. No, it was like, (laughs) yeah, right, pal. That's the attitude. Well, even though we may not always believe God at his word, God's always good to his word. Notice what it says. The time for Isaac, the promised child, to come has come. And here's what it says, chapter 21, verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Always remember, God keeps his promises. And even though it's not on our time schedule, God's never late. Now you say, well, what about that? That was 25 years before when God said that you're going to bear a son. She laughed. She didn't believe it. So when the time had come, The Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age 
at the time which God had spoken to him. By the way, it's always got to be on God's schedule, not ours. I, 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 I don't want to ever get ahead of God. And I don't want to have to God have to push me. Remember the car called the Yugo? Some of you remember those long time ago. A Yugo. Oh, there was all kinds of jokes about him. People would buy him and they called him a U-Wish. They said one of the best uh, options you could get for a Yugo was the heated rear window. That way it kept your hands warm in the wintertime when you had to push it where you wanted it to go. You see, the thing is, is that um, God's always on time. And there's a lot of things we wish for, and I don't want God to have to push me. And there's a lot of things I do that I don't want to get ahead of God. God's timing is right. That's why we as Christians need to be people of prayer. Now, what do you mean by prayer? You know, like some monk in the 16 chapel going, no, you know, you don't, no. Just saying, Father, today is your day. I don't want to get ahead of you, and I don't want you to have to push me. So lead me in your paths of righteousness for your name's sake. You know, it's God's good pleasure to see you do well. Moms and dads, how many of you are blessed when you see your children do well? Isn't it a blessing? You know, a lot of them just graduated. Uh, They just moved into the next grade. Some graduated from high school. But when you go and you get the report card and you look at it, and there's A's and B's on there, and you smile at your child and go, you ain't no dummy. It makes you feel good. You're proud of your kid. God wants to be proud of us. And the thing is, is that God takes, the Bible says, great delight in you, his children. And I know sometimes we get ahead of God and we think, well, God, if you love me, why do I have to go through this? And I know a lot of us have gone through a lot of weird stuff. Some of our jobs have been cut back. Some of our jobs vaporized. And yet God, the word says, is faithful to us in his time. I don't want to be a lallygagger and have God have to push me. I don't want to be somebody that gets ahead of God and runs without a message. We want to be where God wants us to be. Now, how do I stay focused in that? I believe this is one of the reasons why God's word, why fellowship is important, is we stay in that presence of God. There's a place to live in the presence of God where it will keep you from getting ahead of God or having God have to push you. What aligns us to God's will, everyone, is prayer. Now again, saying, Lord, here am I, your servant. Open the doors today according to your will. Close the doors today according to your will. So I'll be exactly where you want me to be when you want me to be there. Do you realize, God, as you are a supernatural being? Now I know evolution, the Communist Party, those say you're just an evolved cosmic mistake. That's why teaching of evolution is so popular in the colleges of America, because it goes along and it takes away that you were endowed by your creator with certain uh, enabliable rights. They say you're just evolved sludge and you're just one of the millions of worker bees out there, really no more significant than an ant on the ground. 
Well, you see, this is why when we realize that you are a supernatural being created by God, God then has supernatural appointments for you and for me. In other words, the things that happen to you and me are not luck, happenstance, or bad luck. Remember that. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, I don't really know about that. But I do know as a Christian, if you are a born-again believer, you belong to God, God only allows to come into your life and go out of your life according to his will when we walk in the Spirit. Now, I think that's important. But how do we walk in the Spirit? Praying every day, saying, Lord, let my life be a reflection of your glory. Lord, today, let it not be a performance, but let it be a demonstration of your love. So much difference, friends. We're not actors. We're just simply God's kids. Man, what a change. Now, as we look at this, Sarah was told she was going to have a child way past the age of her ability to have children. When the angel told her, she laughed. And the angel said, you laughed. She says, no, I didn't. Oh, yes, you did. And they named this little boy Laughter. His name was Isaac, and that's what means in the Hebrew. Isaac means laughter. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And then Abraham circumcised his son on, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him, almost my age. And And Sarah said, God has made me laugh so that all who hear will laugh with me. By the way, when you're blessed, people around you are blessed. Always remember that. You bring a blessing where you are. I I think that's pretty cool how God does that. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on that same day that Isaac was weaned. So somewhere maybe four years old, three, four years old, something like that. Isaac begins to grow. The child of promise begins to happen. Though it took time, God kept his word. Now, As I said earlier, how does reading this story 4,000 years ago have really any relevance to us today? I'm glad you asked. Okay, here's why. I don't know how many people are aware of what's going on in the Middle East right now. If you want to know prophetically where we are, we don't look at the New York Stock Exchange We don't look at um, uh, North Korea developing nuclear weapons. If you want to know what's going on right now in the world, you look at God's timepiece, his pocket watch. What is that? That is Israel. It clearly tells us, Jesus said in, uh, in Luke chapter 21, that Jerusalem would be trodden down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. When Jesus said that, Jerusalem was under Roman control. 
In fact, even what he said was kind of ludicrous because Jesus said that Jerusalem would come back under control of the Jews when the end of man's governing efforts are at the end. In fact, Jesus goes on and says in Luke 21, he says, and the generation that sees this, all things will be fulfilled. That would be you and me. I believe this is where we're at prophetically speaking. Now, that's the clock, Jerusalem. Let's see how much worse it gets. 70 AD, Titus, a Roman general, comes in, levels the city of Jerusalem, burns it with fire, and one day a year, the Jews are allowed to go back into their beloved, burned down, torn down city the day that Titus destroyed it as a mockery. Oh, the prophecies of Jesus are getting even worse, aren't they? That Jerusalem would come back under Jewish control again when the city is burned with fire and destroyed? But you see, God knows more about tomorrow than we remember about yesterday. And what's impossible for man is possible with God. And we find in 1948, and based upon a a resolution in the United Nations in 1947, that the area that was once Palestine, which was really a nomadic group area of land that really nobody even wanted, would become the new Jewish state. 1948 in May, the United Nations declared Israel to be a nation. The Bible says, who has ever heard of such a thing that a nation would be born in a day? Usually they're not. They're usually a a result of a war or the result of some kind of a a division of an existing country or whatever. But the United Nations said, okay, Israel's a country. The minute that they were declared a country, the Arabs tried to destroy the nation of Israel. The very same, almost the same day, they were all ready for it. And they began to invade Israel, 1948, to destroy it. Then what happens, Israel wins. They got half the city of Jerusalem, but the other half belonged to Jordan and the West Bank. 1967 comes along, some 50, what, three years ago or something like that? Actually, this week. The Six-Day War came along. This is where Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, and even with Russia's help, six against one, they attacked the nation of Israel. It was a sure thing. By the way, the United Nations did nothing, no condemnation of this act of aggression against Israel whatsoever. And Israel, in six days, whooped the whole entire gang. There's some interesting stories about how divinely this war happened. In fact, it was one guy that held off the entire regiment of of the Syrians with one tank. They're all in a battle array, and this one guy, because everybody else was gone, he only had one tank. He would go up on top of a ridge, he'd fire and back down the hill, run down the backside of the hill, go back up, fire again. And the Syrians thought there was a whole bunch of tanks out there, it was just one, and this guy would just kind of pop up here and there and make them, don't try to come over this way. And they, he held them off. 
Supernatural things like that. They won. Sabrina came to Kissinger with a message. This is in 1967. Sabrina was the Secretary of State came to, of Russia, came to Kissinger and said, if you do not stop Israel from taking over the entire Middle East, Russia said, we will intervene and we will attack Israel. So there was a United Nations resolution to stop Israel from going any farther. And even though they had technically won all the Arab states, they were held back by a United Nations declaration. But Israel said this. They said, because we were attacked, Israeli blood was shed. And because the defense of Israel rests upon us keeping the West Bank of the Jordan River and the Golan Heights, where Syria would rain down rockets on the farmers below. They said, we are keeping that as trophies of war. We're not going to give that back. Well, the United Nations, of course, said, no, you've got to go back to the 1948 uh, borders. Israel said, we were attacked. We shed blood. We're not giving this back because it compromises our ability to defend the nation of Israel. So, you hear the words occupied territory. You probably heard that a lot. The word occupied territory means that though Israel is currently patrolling it, it's under Israel's possession. The United Nations does not recognize the West Bank or the Golan Heights as part of Israel. But friends, that's about to change. What changes next month? According to Benny Gantz, and Bibi Netanyahu, of the two prime ministers of the nation of Israel right now, uh, Bibi couldn't get a coalition government because of the way their government's set up. And so they decided to split it. But both Benny Gantz as well as Bibi Netanyahu have said, we are going to annex officially the Golan Heights and the West Bank into the borders of Israel. You say, well, my I came to the church today to hear something. Get this. The king of Jordan, which the land used to belong to, it was never Palestinian land, but the king of Jordan, which used to belong to them, they said, if you annex that into the borders of Israel, we will come against you and destroy you. Now you say... Well, they've been fighting for a million years. What's the problem here? Well, no, the Bible actually says this is exactly what's going to happen. If you have your Bible, turn over with me to the book of Ezekiel. Go fast forward. Go past the book of Psalms. Go up to Ezekiel. We're going to look at this very quickly. The reason I decided to do this this morning, because we are going through the book of Genesis, but I want to show the relevancy of the book of Genesis to today where God gave to Abraham that land. It's the only place in the entire world where God Almighty absolutely became the broker of real estate and said to Abraham, look up your eyes to the north, east, west, and south. All that you see will be yours. Now God is returning it back to Israel. Now, 
Just as it was with the son of promise concerning Isaac, took 25 years for that promise for Sarah to actually have her son. You'd think the sooner the better would be for Sarah, but no, that isn't the way God works. God even makes it more of a statement by her waiting another 25 years. So God gives them their child. Well, now God is saying, I'm going to give you this land, it's yours, and the neighbors around are bent on taking it. Now, just two weeks ago, Iran said that they are going to destroy Israel. They basically made another declaration of war on Israel. This is separate, actually, from the king of Jordan making his statement. And you say, well, why is that important? Because up to the Six-Day War, half the city of Jerusalem belonged to Jordan. The other half belonged to Israel. But one of the prophecies, God's time clock, is Jerusalem. And in particular, this holy city that God has set aside for his own under complete Jewish control. President Trump recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And I believe this is why we're seeing the things that are going on right now in our world. Now remember... Keeping the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing? Israel, God dealing with the nation of Israel, the collapse of the nations of the world, a one world order, the Antichrist comes on the scene, and here's America still, well, at least relatively strong. But I think that's about to change. Here's why. There's going to be an attack The Bible says this war that we're looking at here in Ezekiel 38 has never yet happened. It came close in 1967 in the Six-Day War, but that wasn't it. Notice what it says here. It says, let's just look at uh, chapter 38 of Ezekiel together here. And then we'll go back to Genesis very quickly. The word of the Lord came unto me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, put your face against Gog, the land of Magog. Prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, principal old cities of the, of the Russian Empire, Magog. Prince of Rosh, Meshach, the old ancient name of Moscow, Tubal, Tablonks, Russia, and prophesy against him, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold him against you, O Gog, Prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out, you and all your army, horses, horsemen, all splendidly clothed, great company, with bucklers and shields, and all of them handling swords. Now here's your coalition of neighbors this time. Persia, which is the old Iran and Iraq. Ethiopia. Ethiopia stands on its own. By the way, people say, why is Ethiopia listed here? And by the way, you'll also notice Egypt is not mentioned. Why is that? Do you know what Israel did in the Six-Day War? They gained the entire Sinai Peninsula. Clear, clear to the, the Suez Canal. They, they gained all of that. But you know what Israel did? They gave it back to Egypt as a peace offering. Saying, uh, you, know, we, you know, you're a neighbor. We're, we don't want to fight you. And so they gave the Sinai Peninsula back to Egypt. You'll notice in this coalition of Arab neighbors that come against Israel, Egypt is not listed. How did God know that? God knows everything. Well, notice, he says, 
He says Persia, Iran and Iraq, that area. Ethiopia. Oh, again, why Ethiopia? Do you know they've been devastated by locusts? of biblical proportion. If you uh, go online, do a Google search, type in locusts in Northern Africa, in the Middle East right now, they said that locusts, they have never seen locust invasion at the level that they are seeing it. Basically eating all the food. There's nothing left. Now notice, the reason why they come, as we'll read in a few seconds here, is to take a spoil. They have something Israel wants. And Israel has food. And so Ethiopia, interestingly enough, is listed here. Libya, which speaks for itself. Remember uh, Wacky Gaddafi? Well, that's where he was from. And all the stuff that they were up to. It says, are with all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer, which many people believe is the area uh, kind of South Europe, uh, around the Balkan Sea area, all of its troops. Some people believe that Togomara is from the far north and all of its troops, which would be Turkey, which the relationship between Israel and Turkey has really deteriorated over the last year. From the far north, all of its troops are with you. Verse 7. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies, all that are gathered about with you, and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited in the latter years. The latter years, when you see that, let you know it is speaking of the time I believe we are living in right now. When it says in the latter days, latter years, it's speaking of the last of time. You will come into the land of those bought back from the sword and gathered from many peoples on the mountains of Israel, which have long been desolate. And they were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell confidently. Some of your Bibles say safely, but it means they were dwelling confidently, that we're going to be okay. You will ascend, speaking of this coalition of these Arab neighbors uh, uh, with Russia, you will come like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many people with you. Thus saith the Lord God on that day. It shall come to pass that the thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan and you will say, I will go up against the land of the unwalled villages. And I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, having neither bars nor gates. By the way, you know this is in the latter times, because just up to a couple hundred years ago, the strength of your city was in the walls around the city. And then, you know, you had the moats and the alligators and, you know, Shrek. That was the idea. That's how, that's how you, you protected your city and you had the gates, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Well, it says, I'll go up to them. This is why we know this is in the last days. Because now they rendered that the gates were not a, a formidable defense for a city because unfortunately it kept people in as well as it kept the enemy out. And so they decided that that wasn't a way to go. So now it tells us here that in the days to come, that cities will not have bars or gates or walls. Now here's the reason why, verse 12. To take plunder and to take booty, 
to stretch your hand out against the waste places that are now inhabited, against the people gathered uh, from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods and dwell in the midst of the land. Notice it says from the nations, Israel's migration of Jewish people back into the land of Israel have brought all their stuff back there. Just what the Bible says will happen. Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish. Now this is, uh, this is interesting here. Uh, Dedan is Saudi Arabia. Um, the merchants of Tarshish. Many people believe Tarshish was England and I don't know, we would be their young lions, I guess. Will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you come to take uh, your army and to take booty and carry away the silver and gold and to take livestock and goods to take great plunder? Therefore, son of man, prophesy against and say to Gog, Russia, thus saith the Lord God, because Russia is the supplier of weapons, the supplier, it takes money to run a war. And so they are the ones that are uh, God's directing this at. Since you're the kingpin, Thus saith the Lord God, on that day when my people of Israel dwell in the land safely, will you not know it? And you will come out of your place in the far north. The Bible even tells us exactly geographically where they're going to come from. You and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses and great company, a mighty army. Uh, the word here for horses in the, in the Hebrew, and it's a strange word, it means leaper. You and your leapers. I don't know if that's a neat name for a Jeep or what. But it says your leapers um, uh, can also be described as a bird or a chariot rider. Um, Israel, in Israel, tanks are called, are called um, chariots even to this day. Great company and mighty army. And you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. And it will be in the latter days again. That's why we know it's now. And I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me. And I am hollowed in you, O God, before their eyes. God's saying, I'm going to whip you bad so that you and the world knows who's God. Now you say, Mike, why is this important? What we're reading about today may very well happen in the next month. Maybe not the exact month, but it could be because Israel has said we are going to annex the West Bank. And when they annex the West Bank, I believe that is the trigger for this war. Because in the Bible also says, it says they will say, those are our mountains. No, those are our mountains. God says they're my mountains. And the Bible says they're going to make their move. And you say, well, why and how does this, all of this tie in together? Well, as we read on here, and I, I won't take all the time to read this, but the Bible says in Ezekiel 39, the capture of weapons is going to be so great 
that Israel gets out of this war that they fight with the Arabs, with Russia, they will be burning the weapons for seven years, the, the, the cachet of what they get. I don't know whether it's the butt stocks off the AK-47s. I don't know whether it's the barrels of fuel oil that they need to run their tanks. I don't know. But the Bible says they're going to burn the weapons for seven years. I do not believe that they are going to be burning the weapons into the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. When you stop to think about it for a minute, just to put this thing in more perspective, if this Russian invasion happens with the Arab neighbors to Israel, let's say in the next couple of months, it's going to be a world changer, friends. It's going to be a great changer. Allah, who's going to deliver Israel into our hands, fails. Can you imagine the disillusioned Arabs when Allah didn't do what they said he was going to do? Wouldn't that leave you open for another kind of faith? The faith with the Bible says the Antichrist will set up chrislam. All faiths, all paths lead to God. Cuckoo, kachoo, we'll group together. That's what he's going to do. The Bible says he's going to homogenize all the religions of the world. And he makes a peace treaty with Israel so they can build their third temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, Israel. And the Bible says that this Antichrist will be known to the world as the man of peace. He negotiates what's left of the Arabs, a relationship with them where the Temple Mount in Jerusalem... Dome of the Rock Mosque currently there. Nothing but about, they estimate somewhere between 13 and 18 acres of land up on the, uh, the, where the Dome of the Rock Mosque is of just trees and sidewalks. The Antichrist says, okay, Israel, you build your temple there. And the Temple Mount in Israel will be a, a home to all faiths. Christianity, Muslims, and, and, and Jews all will be able to groove together on the same hill. And Israel views this guy as their Messiah. He goes, finally, somebody's on our side. And he aligns himself with Israel. And for three and a half years, he befriends Israel. And increases the idea of all paths lead to God, Chrislam. But something weird happens three and a half years into the tribulation period with the Antichrist. Some people believe this is when he receives the head wound and he comes back to life, a mock resurrection, if you will. And he goes into the temple in Jerusalem that he allowed the Jews to build. He goes in there, the Bible says, he himself, a picture of his name or his name is in the temple there in Jerusalem. And he declares to the world that he is God and must be worshipped. Jesus said, this is the abomination which makes desolate. And when this happens, Jesus said, don't even go back into your house to get your coat. Run and run as fast as you can to the hills. Why is that? Well, first of all, I believe this. I believe the devil knows the scripture. He quoted it to Jesus, remember? He said, cast yourself off the pinnacle of the temple. As it says in Psalms, the angels will bury you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Isn't it weird the devil knows scripture yet he doesn't believe it? Sounds like a lot of our modern ministers today. And so he says, you you do that. 
Some people believe that as he tells the world that he is God, he must be worshipped as God. Evidently, he knows Israel down deep, still messed up in their faith, but loyal to Yahweh, don't buy his chili. They go, nope, we're not going to do that. I believe the Antichrist is going to be fully equipped to retaliate against Israel quickly. In other words, you don't dare cross me. I am God on this earth. He will declare to the nations. And he will meet with Israel full force to destroy it. We find this mentioned in Revelation again about how the earth actually opens up as a flood is sent out and preserves the nation of Israel. One of the things we look at, friends, is this. When you stop to think that if this war we're reading about right here happens next month or the month after, I don't know how prepared they are. They may have to take a little time to retaliate against Israel. But do you realize that if that happened and Israel is, is victorious, as the Bible says, the Bible says that God will be hallowed in the sight of all nations. Interestingly enough, it doesn't say America comes to Israel's defense. This is a little concerning to me because I don't know why. I I believe Trump would come to Israel's defense unless America is so full of inner turmoil, which I see in our streets every night on the news. We may not be able to respond to Israel. We may have too many domestic problems of our own to do this. So then what will the result be? God fights for Israel. God destroys them. Now, again, as I said, they'll be burning the weapons for seven years. If the rapture of the church comes in two weeks or in a month, I don't know whether we'll be here to watch this Ezekiel war that we're reading about. I do believe it's not far off in the horizon. This war has not yet happened to the nation of Israel. It is yet in the future, in the latter days, as it says. Do you realize that Right after that, if the rapture came, you have this, you have this one world order being pushed upon everyone. Do you realize the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ could be, could be and start within just 10 years. See, I always, it's hard for me sometimes to wrap my head around a lot of the things that I've read and studied over all the years And to think that Jesus could be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem in 10 years and you, saints, ruling and reigning with him. Wow. All of a sudden now, this isn't so far. You think about 10 years. You ever go out and look at your car? I bought that brand new in 2008. And then you think, that thing's 12 years old now. You ever go over and see your friends? And see their little kids? And now they're big? And you go, where's your kids? Right there. No, no, the little ones. Right there. Time moves faster than we think. Friends, it won't be long. We'll be with the Lord. I want to be sure that you're ready to go. If the rapture was to come today, would you be ready? Now, you might you say, well, what do you mean by the rapture? The Bible says, Paul says, Corinthians, also in Thessalonians, that in a moment, a twinkling of an eye, 
you're going to be changed. At the sound of the trumpet, the Bible says there's a voice of the archangel, and the Bible says the dead in Christ rise first. Those are in the ground. Their, their spirits are reunited with their body. They get a glorified body that'll be useful to rule and reign with Christ on the earth. And your body is going to be changed instantaneous. And I kind of look forward to that, and I'll tell you why. Sometimes when I get up in the morning, the reason I know I'm alive is things start hurting. Some of you older people know what I'm talking about. Yep, that still hurts. I guess I'm still here. You know, you get up, if your name's not on the obituary column, you make coffee. You know, you you just look at those things. People that are younger, I remember. Remember, I I was once young too, okay? I remember that. It wasn't that long ago. And I was always thinking about, I was sitting around listening to old people talk about weird, old people talk about weird stuff. You ever notice that? They talk about the issues in the bathroom. They, I mean, they talk about weird stuff. And they talk about aching and they, they and say, man, can't they do anything without hurting? No, we can't. <laughs> you paint your roof in your house with a roller and you're doing this, you're going to walk around the next day like this. Now, you're going to get a brand new body. At the moment, the twinkling of an eye at the blast of Gabriel... Bang! You get a brand new body that doesn't break down anymore. You that are younger, you might say, gee, I wish I was a little better good looking. Bang! Better good looking right there. I wish I was a little slimmer. Bang! Slimmer. I wish I was a little fatter. Bang! You got it. At the sound of the trumpet, you're going to get a perfect body with your DNA, with all the little weird things that aren't right with it fixed. I like that. That's what we look forward to. The Bible actually says this. You ready for this? Comfort one another with these words. You're so good looking, but not as good looking as you're going to be. Why is that? God's got a brand new promise for each one of us. And you see, I believe when the Christians are taken out of this world, the Bible says you're salt, you're light. You take salt out of beef jerky, you've got a rotten mess. You take light out of a room, it's complete darkness, and things can be as filthy as they want to be. I used to work for NCR down in Los Angeles, uh, National Cash Register. And I had the wonderful opportunity of going into many of the bars in the daytime that were only open in the evening. And I remember going into these these rooms. They were filthy dirty. But you see, the low light hides all the filth. And I remember thinking, I'll tell you, if you ever want to be cured of going into bars, just go into one in the daytime when the lights are on. It'll just give you the the eebie-jeebies. And I remember going in there thinking, this is exactly what the Bible means. The light reveals the darkness and what's hidden in the darkness. That's what you do. And when you're gone, the world can be as dark as it wants. It can be as rotten as it wants. And the Bible says in, in, in Revelation 16, unless those days were shortened, there'd be no flesh saved. In other words, if the tribulation went longer than seven years, all of humanity would be wiped out. You think we're on the dawning of the age of Aquarius? Think again. You see, man left to himself will destroy himself. That's exactly what the Bible says. What we're reading here in Genesis 21 
is this little boy was born named Isaac, the promise, the son of promise. As we would read on, it talks about Ishmael began to make fun of Isaac. And the two could not cohabitate in the same house. Sarah said, send Hagar and her son away for they're doing nothing but mocking my child. And they were sent out. We're going to talk about this next time we're together. But what's amazing in this story is that they still fight today. They're still fighting over this very same thing today. How did something 4,000 years ago affect us today? It is exactly what we're reading about in Ezekiel chapter 38. This Arab-Israeli war. And the Bible says that Israel will win. Now friends, again, I don't know whether we're going to get the heavenly view of this war or we're going to be watching it here or even maybe having it affect us. I don't know. But whatever it is, be ready. Be watchful. Make sure your relationship with God is secure. Say, Father, I'm sorry for the way I've lived. And I need to be in that place of your Holy Spirit. So you won't have to push me. You won't have to drag me. I'll be there and I'll do as your son said. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what truly being a Christian is. Do you realize how valuable you are to God today? You are his messengers. You are the ones. People go, I sure don't know what's going on in the world. I do. What's that? You see, Jesus said it's going to get worse and worse. He's going to take his church home. There's going to be a one world order with an antichrist, 666 coming on people's heads and foreheads, hands and foreheads. Don't take the mark, but it's better just to go in the rapture. That's our message. That's why we're still here. Oh, I know we all want to go to heaven, but God has us here for a reason. This morning, we have communion. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And um, the cup is to remind you, Jesus said, of his blood that was shed for you. The bread is for your healing. Many of you in this room today need to be healed. You need to be healed of your memories. You need to be healed of your thought processes. You need to be healed of the things that haunt you when you lay your head on your pillow at night. God wants to heal you. And maybe it is your body that needs to be healed. That provision is there. But we're a complex being. Do you realize how complex we are? No one has ever been like you on this earth ever before. No one will ever be like you on this earth ever again. You are unique. You're not a cosmic accident. You're divinely made by God for his creation. This morning, when you have the bread, think about what you'd like God to heal in your life. And we're going to do that as we have communion this morning. Now, I know this is a little different than we normally do it, but because of all the COVID stuff, we, we have it this way today. But that's not what's important. What's important is that we're having a representation of what Jesus said. We have bread, unleavened bread. We have the fruit of the vine, which is representative of his blood that was shed for you.
Now, if you're not a Christian, uh, communion is kind of a meaningless ritual. Why is that? Because Jesus didn't die for you. You didn't accept that. The bread is for your healing, but you're not his, so God can't heal you. But when you become a Christian, all the promises of God are for you. And as we looked at the book of Genesis 21 concerning Sarah having her own son and that son of, of, of Abraham, though it took time, God kept his word. And God will keep his word to you if you'll let him. This morning, if you need to get right with God, we're going to pray right now. And you can ask Jesus to come into your life and to forgive your sins. And so when he comes, you'll go with him. When Gabriel blows that trumpet, we're out of here. And until God takes us home, your life is going to mean something in eternity. I like that. Trading away something you can't keep for something you will never lose. That's a good deal, friends. And then we'll have communion. Because those promises are for you today. So if you've never prayed and asked Christ in your life, let's pray right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Forgive me. I'm a sinner. I've offended you in the way I've lived. I've taken your name in vain. And God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. His blood covered my sins. And so now, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to be bold for you and to love the lost. Write my name in your book of life so I'll never be scared of dying ever again. And take me home when you come and you take your church home in Jesus' name. Amen. You prayed that? Welcome to God's family. You say, but Mike, that was so, how can that be so simple? Hey, I always use the illustration. You, you sell your car or you buy a car. The guy slides a thing across, sign here. You go, e, 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 e. okay, it's yours. Or if you go, e, 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 e. that car is now somebody else's. As something as simple as a signature can change the ownership of a house or a car that you have Something as simple as a prayer changes your eternal destiny from hell to heaven. Wow, what a great deal. This morning as we have communion, as you hold it in your hands, I want you to think about something that you would love to see God change in your life. We have a God of promise. And let him make those promises to you. David says they're new every morning. Next time we're together, we're going to continue our study in Genesis chapter 21. And again, keep your eye in the Middle East. When the king of Jordan says we will attack Israel, Israel could whip Jordan in two hours, okay? Literally. It could, it could destroy Jordan in two hours. So when the king of Jordan says we, he's speaking of a coalition of neighbors where you already have Iran, a nuclear power on their side, coupled with Russia. Friends, we are in exciting times.
We see the meltdown of our economy. We see the meltdown of our society. We see the focus changing back. Don't miss out. We're in for the ride of our lives now. People say, oh, I just wish I had a sign of the end. They're here. You don't have to wait anymore. They're here. Be about your father's business. Those that win souls is wise. If I can have the fellows come forward and uh, we'll uh, pass these out to everyone. Father, as we pass these out, may as we hold them in our hands, think about what you did for us, what you want to do in our lives and keep us in your love in Jesus' name.